Thank you for tuning in to the Believer's Church of Johnson City podcast. We are grateful you stopped by. Regardless of where you are in your faith journey, we hope today's teaching is both challenging and also encourages you to move closer to Jesus. You can subscribe to the podcast if you want weekly messages, leave a review of your experience, and if you wish to become a giving partner, you can do so by visiting our website at believerschurchjc.com. And of course, we want to encourage you to come see us in person. We are located at 6110 Kingsport Highway in Johnson City, Tennessee. As always, we hope you enjoy today's message. So I could get more into the specifics of why I believe that God has called me. Uh, God called me into pastoral ministry when I was 16 years old. I took a break for uh, quite a period of time, and then God uh, definitely called me back. But I could go into all these details about why I feel like I've been called into ministry. But I want to give you just really quickly a broad general view of that today. Uh, For a long time in my life, after being raised in church, I viewed church as a very damaging place. I viewed church actually as a very as a very bad place uh, throughout my 20s. I considered the hypocrisy, the fake people, the judgmental attitudes, the power dynamics, the cliques, all of those things uh, to be very, very damaging. So the church is supposed to help people, and the church is to be the the, the salt and the light in the community. But for me, for a very long time, uh, the church was not that place. I would go as far as to say that that the church was damaging. Now, what this is going to do over time is this is going to create a worldview for me so that whenever I'm having conversations with people, it is my desire to push them away from church. And if there is something to to be experienced that is divine, that is holy, that is what we might call God, it's probably not to be found within a religious institution. All right, that was my belief for a pretty good period of time, so I know where some of you are coming from or where some of you have been before in your life. Maybe you've been burned by church, had a bad experience, whatever. So as I got older, I started to experience something that was more authentic. And I started to grow along with other believers. This was in Kentucky at Destination Community Church. And I started to feel this calling back toward ministry. And there's a lot of details in the middle that I won't share today that I have shared with you guys before But I started feeling called back into ministry, and I felt like it was the purpose of my life to show people that this scriptural or biblical idea of the body of Christ being something that is healthy, being something that is love, being something that works together is in fact possible. And it is my life's mission to take some of you that are in this room right now or that are watching online or some of your kids that are done with church or never wanted anything to do with church to say there are a lot of us that have really, really messed this thing up, and there are a lot of people before us that have really, really messed this thing up, but we're going to change the way that looks because we're going to do it the right way. Now, that doesn't mean that we're not going to make mistakes. It doesn't mean that we're not still human. It doesn't mean, God bless our hearts, we're not still going to go to social media in very, very foolish ways sometimes, but that we can be this community. And this is something that I feel that we're getting closer to every week. So what does this look like? What does this look like in the life of people? True love for our neighbors, 
genuine, heartfelt repentance. Turning from who we were and being transformed into something new. Working through tough relationships. Because that's one of the biggest reasons that people leave church and some of the reasons that church is so ugly. Working through within the body of Christ tough relationships to show unity. Forgiving others. Helping those in need as we did at Neighborhood Nights that Amanda mentioned last night. Authentic worship. Effortless giving. And much, much more. So I believe in these ideas, and it is my life's mission to show that the body of Christ and the church should be the most loving, welcoming, safest place in the world. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 4 today. If you want to turn there, if you want to look up on the screen, that's fine. I want to encourage you to bring a hard copy of the Bible if you happen to have one. If you don't, we'd like to get you one, but Acts chapter 4 is where we're going to be today, and we're going to look at verses 32 through 37. So last week, we were in a different message, and now I'm going to take, take um, up where Andy left off whenever he was filling in whenever I was on vacation. Acts chapter 4, verses 32 through 37. This is the second of three passages in Acts about the communal dynamics at work among early believers. It's the second. The other one's in Acts chapter 2, and then we have another one that we'll eventually get to. So if you are asking me, what is a follower of Jesus supposed to look like? That's a really, really big question, and I have some answers. So what is a follower of Jesus really supposed to look like? Or even better yet, what is the church? What is this idea of the body of Christ supposed to look like? 99% of the time, I'm going to point you to this scripture that we're going to look at today. It's that good. All right, so Acts chapter 4, we're going to be in verses 32 through 37, and this is what the Word tells us. This is the common English Bible. The community of believers was one in heart and mind. None of them would say, this is mine, about any of their possessions, but held everything in common. The apostles continued to bear powerful witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and an abundance of grace was at work among them all. There were no needy persons among them. Those who owned properties or houses would sell them, bring the proceeds from the sales, and place them under the care, under the care and under the authority of the apostles. Then it was distributed to anyone who was in need. Joseph, whom the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which is one who encourages, was a Levite from Cyprus. His, his character is going to become more important as we get deeper into Acts. He owned a field and sold it and brought the money and he placed it in the care and under the authority of the apostles. So what does community really look like? What do the communal dynamics of what the church is supposed to look like? What does that really look like? And what does that look like in a 21st century Western context? Again, the calling on my life, what I hear all the time, I'm spiritual, but not, I'm not religious. 
I believe in God, but I don't believe in organized religion. And really when people are saying those things is they're saying we're willing to commit to our idea of God, but not necessarily really messy, really ugly people. Within the body of Christ, and what it means to follow Jesus is you are also making a commitment to really ugly, messy people just like this guy right here. That's what it means. And it's an extremely difficult thing to do. I can promise you, you think it's difficult like as a church person or as a person that occasionally goes to church or maybe even a person who leads in church for a pastor, I'm ready to wring necks almost every single day with the things that I hear. And the question that continues to come back to me over and over again, how am I a person of peace? How do I walk through my brokenness and my afflictions and my difficulty and make peace with the people that I'm serving? Not only how do I continue to love them, but how do I wash their feet? And how do I see myself in a place in which that's the commitment that I must make all the time? And you know what? That's not just for pastors. And that's not just for leadership. That is for every single person that is part of the body of Christ. Strong relationships within the body of Christ are birthed on the micro level. Not in this crowd. Not among Sunday morning attendees when a lot of times you don't have the opportunity to have conversations with a lot of people. That's the macro level. That's large scale. Strong relationships And the body of Christ thrives when these relationships are built on the micro level. Two people, three people, five people. This is how we get strong. This is how we build what it is that we are supposed to be. Our second core value at Believer's Church is community. And that means that we are following Jesus together. One thing that we emphasize here in a major, major way is an opposition to this individualized spirituality. We understand Christianity, and we understand following Jesus the way that the early church did, and that is that we are doing it together. It's one of the reasons that it's the middle of the summer, or beginning of the summer really, So our community groups are not going on right now, but I want to make sure and invite you guys out for our community group orientation dinner in September, because this is one of the greatest ways you're going to be able to connect. No, it's not the only way, because there are other relationships and other ways that you need to build this, but it's the way that you are going to become stronger in close relationships that you simply can't build in a crowd that's this size. So we're also in the process of developing the skeleton for this intern, uh, this internship program, and this is part of what we're doing to send people out to plant other churches. Talk to you guys over and over and over. We're not trying to build a big church. We're not trying to build a mega church. What we believe in is creating a disciple-making movement that then continues to replicate that and send people out. So quickly, there are two questions that I want to ask that are addressed in this scripture and also want to answer 
that are very, very important today. The first one is this. What are these early followers? I talked about how important this passage was. What are these early followers doing that is so good? If we're really going to replicate this, listen to me, guys, if we're not just going to be another church, but if we're going to work through the difficulty of, of hard relationships, if we're really going to love our neighbor, if we're really going to show what Jesus is and live that out in our lives, how is it that we do this? How is it that we make it as practical as absolutely possible? So what are the early followers doing that is so good? But then number two, how are they doing it? How exactly is it that they are going about doing this? First, what are they doing that's so good? They are bearing witness to the resurrection of Jesus. They are bearing witness to the resurrection of Jesus. Now, we've already talked about this, but they are making Jesus known through their lifestyle. And this is not a product of a Sunday morning service. This is not a product, as important as it is, as a quiet time or a study that you have on your own. This is a product of being surrounded by other believers in authentic community. This is the way that this is built. So what are they doing that is so good? They are bearing witness to the resurrection of Jesus. This is what the passage tells us in verse 33. The apostles, the leadership, continued to bear powerful witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and an abundance of grace was at work among them all. So a couple things that are going on here. First, their lives are being surrendered to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Their lives are being completely surrendered. And until we're really able to see the kind of infusion and gospel movement that we are talking about, alcoholics have to surrender everything. People that are addicted to pornography have to give everything. People that are struggling in their marriages right now, people who are angry at other people, maybe even people in this church, people who are greedy with their money, they have to learn what it means to truly surrender everything. Now, there's some things that God is going to teach you on your own. But as Solomon tells us in Proverbs, iron sharpens iron, and much of this we learn in community. Much of this we learn through what other people have, have been through, through what other people have experienced, through the darkness that they've had to go through in their lives. But the second thing is this, that so they're bearing witness to the resurrection of Jesus through surrendering everything, but then number two, they are living through the overflow of grace. They're not living through the overflow of church programs. They're not living through the overflow of a Sunday morning service. They're not living through the overflow of, of, of a 10-minute devotion on a Bible app. They are living through the overflow of grace in which God is transforming and changing their lives in every single way. So what does this look like? What does this look like when your life is really overflowing with grace the way that we see here? It means that people are actually seeing Jesus in their lives. People are actually seeing that. And when people see that, it's not something that they're disgusted with. It's not what we typically hear, well, there are those fake religious people. Well, so-and-so goes to church, and, and, and you know how she is. You know, he goes to church, and you know the things that he does through the week. 
You know, there was a lot of ugly stuff on social media this week. And I hate to say this, but some of it came from believers. Some of it came from people that are just, just some of the people like us, and I don't know of anybody specific in this church, but from people like us that could be in this room right now. How do we handle these situations in this moment in time, this significant moment right now in our country? How is it that we carry ourselves through these moments? It means absolutely everything. So when people are living through the overflow of grace, when people are truly following Jesus, it's contagious. And that's exactly what's going on in this story. That's exactly what's going on in this situation. It is so real. It is so giving and loving. It is so authentic that people are experiencing conversion just by knowing, just by being within the vicinity of these early followers. So living through the overflow of grace, I want you to imagine waking up every single day of your life knowing that you've messed up. And some of you, like myself, still to this day sometimes, you carry the weight of guilt over some of the things you've done. Things that you did yesterday, things that you did 10 years ago to someone. Great damage that you have caused. You, you know that you've hurt other people. You know that you still feel condemnation. But in the midst of this, and despite this, your entire body overflows with an overwhelming experience of joy, of peace, of love, and of self-forgiveness, because you understand what the cross meant to you as an individual. This is what they have. This is what they have, and this is some really bad men. These are some really, really bad women, and they are drawing people in because they understand despite their shortcomings, despite where they've been, that they are forgiven people. And the overflow of this is something that people can't do anything about. All right, so this is what they're doing that's so good, but how are they doing it? How are they doing it? And please understand, this first one is incredibly critical, and it's very critical for where we are as a church right now. How are they doing it? Number one, they were completely unified. They were completely unified. We cannot underestimate the importance of unity. The reason that this church experience is so ugly, the reason that our world, our country this week is so ugly is because of division over a critical issue. We are not going to agree about every little area of doctrine. We are not going to agree about the way church should be done in every way. We are not going to agree about some of the decisions that are made. That's human nature. 
And if Myers-Briggs is correct, there are 16 different types of diverse, radical personalities that are in this room right now. Some of you are easygoing. Some of you are not. Don't nudge your spouse. Some of you don't know when to shut up. And some of you never speak, except behind the person's back that you want to talk to. We've got all these things going on. We're part of that mess. But this is the question. Please hear me. How do we walk through that together in unity? The reason that churches fail to grow, the reason that things are so ugly, the reason that there is this divide in the American church, I believe more so than anything else, is because of problems surrounding unity. This is what Luke says. The community of believers were one in heart and one in mind. So this, this one heart, one soul analogy, or this one heart, one mind analogy, emphasizes deep friendship around a commitment to God. So you get the commitment to God, you're in church, you know you understand that part. But listen to this part, deep friendship meaning the most important relationships that you have in your life, outside of maybe your immediate family, should be in this room right now. The most important relationships that you have in your life, if we're really talking about things from an eternal perspective, should be the people in this church. Instead, often, the way that this is kind of looked at is, Oh, yeah, I go to church with her. Oh, yeah, she's occasionally at our church. He's occasionally at our church. We're missing it completely. We're missing it completely if it's just another person that you go to church with. If you are within the body of Christ, this is your family. So you can make a real commitment today. If you've never made this decision before, you can make a real commitment today to be unified. You could leave here today with these words in mind, and I want you to hear these words. I will not be the person that holds this church back, or we will not be the family that holds this church back. Now, there's a lot there. That means you're not going to be talking about other people in this church behind their backs, it means despite how someone may have hurt you, that you are going to do everything within your ability because of grace to forgive and go forward. And this is what we see in this church in Acts. I will make a commitment to be unified with the local body and the church universal at all costs. And this is a commitment that I've made in my life. And it is very very, very hard. It is very hard. People will say things to you that hurt you. And I have said things to people completely with the best of intention and hurt them. There are going to be things that you are going to see on social media that you can't even believe he posted that. 
There are going to be struggles that you have because some people maybe don't raise their children the way that you raise their kids. You raise your kids. There are going to be songs that you don't like. Things said from the stage that you don't like. And if it's so troubling to you, better to find another church than to create and build upon what we already know is a great problem. The second thing that they're doing that is so good, and listen, this is hard for Americans, and this is hard for most people, and this is where some of you are going to get even more uncomfortable. They had no understanding of personal ownership. You're like, what do you mean? Am I supposed to sell all my stuff? They had no understanding of personal ownership. This is what the passage tells us. None of them would say, this is mine. Can you imagine that? Cody, I'm going to take your car after church. I'm kidding. So, so they're in a situation where this is not mine. I have nothing. Nothing belongs to me. This is none of, they're never saying this is mine about any of their possessions, but instead, they held everything in common. You're saying, what is this? Some kind of first century socialism? They held everything in common. Do you know what this means? Because this is the most important part. They were able to reveal the kingdom because they had slaughtered their idols. They had taken the things, their home, their cars. They didn't have cars, but you get the point. Their hobbies, everything that they were in. You see how radical this is? Do you see how far away we are? They took everything that they had and made it communal among the believers. Listen, it's not a sin to own things. It's not, because prior to this, the believers had possessions. It's not a sin to own things. It becomes a sin when the things that you own command more allegiance in your life than what you give to the body of Christ. I'll say it again. This can't feel like Sunday friends. This can't feel like just your church crowd. When it comes to unity, when it comes to togetherness, when it comes to the way that we live our lives together, we have to be completely locked in to one another at all times, having one another's back, because we are in a war. And it's very important that you understand that. We cannot cultivate this life if we're enjoying and paying for possessions that are higher on our priority list than what the kingdom of God offers. Also, how are they doing this? How are they bearing witness to the resurrection of Jesus? They met the needs of those around them. Guys, I'm not making this stuff up. I don't have an agenda. I'm giving you scripture. And it's very, very important that we understand what's going on here. They met the needs of those around them. There were no needy persons among them. Those who owned properties or houses would sell them and bring, bring the proceeds from those sales and place them in the care and the authority of the apostles. Then it was distributed to anyone who was in 
need. The emphasis here is on taking care of other believers. That's what's going on in this particular situation. Owners of property would liquidate their assets and donate the proceeds to the community. Now, what you're saying right now, if, you're, if you've been programmed as I have as a good American, this is crazy. This kind of unity, this kind of living, this, you know, I go to church, I give, I try to be a good person, I try to take care of other people, but this stuff is absolutely insane. We could even say it's un-American. But this is what happens when people start drowning in grace. And this is what happens when people are so broken by their sin. And people are so destroyed by who they are apart from Christ. And people who say at my best efforts possible, I just can't be a good husband. With my best efforts possible, I'm just not the wife that I can be. I've got issues with anger. I've got issues with drugs or alcohol. I can't stand the majority of the people that I work with. And apart from Christ, apart from what he gives me, apart from this experience that the cross offers, I'm morally bankrupt. I have nothing. So what's going on in this scenario, and this is what we've talked about now for nine weeks, is that through the power of the Holy Spirit and through the goodness of of God, it starts to pour out upon people in a radical way. And what happens as people experience this is they say, yes, please, I'd like some more of that. I'll commit my life to this. I'm going to donate my life to this. I'm going to give everything of me to the goodness of God. And as a result, there's an overflow. And in our society today, what this looks like is people who grew up in church, they can't stand church right now, and they look at someone and they say, she is different. There is something about him that is different than the way that I felt programmed as a child growing up in a church. There is something contagious there. And then when you talk to this person, they're like, what is your secret? How do you live that way? How are people, just by your presence, before you even mention Jesus, how are people able to see that in you? Well, because it's what God's done for me. But if you want to know a little bit about this, a little bit more about this, come to church with me sometime. Because I got this as a result of people that I was around. And they got this as a result of just this infection that Jesus gives us. This presence that Jesus gives us, that no matter how hard life gets, how difficult it is, we refuse to go back to the people that we were. We refuse to go back to the pain and the suffering that we caused at our very, very, very best. You see, Christianity in this period, it really, really spoke to the underdog, the urban poor, the people that had nothing, they were, they were impressed with these resilient Christians that would keep going forward and keep going forward despite persecution. And in the midst of this, as we'll soon see Paul in prison, they're happy and somehow even able to express joy and celebrate in an amazing way. It may seem crazy, but it's what it looks like when people 
are drowning in grace. So here is the challenge that I would like to provide for you today. And this is getting to the heart of the New Testament idea of church. This is how I'm going to challenge you guys. And I'm being dead serious about this. I want to challenge you this afternoon. You may make, need to make a note about this to sit down with your spouse. Or if you're single, to really on, on your ride home from church or as you're having lunch or this afternoon, to really, really think about a couple questions if we're serious about what we say that we're serious about. The first is this. What is my level of participation in the local body of Christ? What is my level of participation? And this is what I'm asking. I'm not just asking, do you serve? I'm not just asking, do you give? I'm not just asking, how often are you here? I'm asking you, are you really locked in with the body? Are you willing to step out in complete unity with the body of Christ as we move forward? As difficult and ugly as it is, because you will experience more Christian growth in your life than almost anything else when you make the decision to get over yourself and forgive other people. It is an incredible thing. So I want you to ask yourself, what is my level of participation in the local body of Christ? I'm asking you to assess your priorities. I'm asking you to analyze your week and look at what your life looks like. A lot of you in here call yourself Christians. You call yourself followers of Jesus. You call yourself part of Believer's Church. What I'm asking you to do is to evaluate your level of participation in the local body of Christ. And this is key right here. The community must be active enough, faithful enough, disciplined enough, and united enough to create new communities that then replicates this experience. This is what's going on in Acts. This is the mission and the vision of Believer's Church. We're locked in. We're committed. We love one another. We're moving through the difficulty of our messes for the purpose of sending more and more and more people out to see lives overflowing with what the passage called an abundance of grace. The second question, the last question that I want to ask you is what sacrifices must be made in your life for greater allegiance. Now listen, if, if, if church is a casual thing, if this is part of your Sunday morning thing a, a couple times a month, maybe I'm not asking you unless you felt led to make a deeper, a deeper dive. But where are the idols? Where are the possessions? Where are the things that you're holding on to in your life? You see, we don't move forward with good people. We don't move forward with smart people. We move forward with forgiven people that are absolutely full of grace. And you want to know something? Jesus does not care about your background. Jesus does not care about the mistakes that you have made. Jesus does not care about where you 
come from today? What do you need to sacrifice to make greater allegiance in this direction? We're used to thinking about church this way. This is where I go to church. Or I, I can't wait to get to church. Or what time does your church start? All right, that's the way that we typically think about it. A, a, a physical building that we're kind of attached to. But I'm going to tell you something. This building right here, this is not my church. This is a warehouse owned by pain properties that we rent. You're my church. And people that are not with us today, they're on vacation. They're my church. Those people that are watching today that aren't able to be here, that are regular with us, those people are my church. It does not matter to me where we meet. It does not matter to me how much production we have on a Sunday morning. You guys are my church. And we are going to approach a time where it's time to start sending some of you out to be the church in other places. If you'll bow your heads with me this morning and close your eyes. From your seats, I'd like for you to think about something this morning. And I'm going to go back to where we, are, uh, where we were just a little bit earlier. And I'm going to read a statement that I did. And I want you to really, really think about this and really, really pray about this uh, from your seat this morning. You could leave here today with these words. I will not be the person that holds this church back. I will not be the person that holds this church back. I'm going to make a commitment to be unified with the local body, with Believer's Church at all costs. Amazing things happen when the worship is good. Amazing things happen when the preaching or the teaching is good. Amazing things happen when we're out serving in the community. But there is something that happens whenever we are unified that the gates of hell simply cannot touch. I'm going to pray over us this morning. And after that, as we stand to worship, if you need prayer, come down. I'd love to pray for, with you. If you need to kneel at the uh, altar this morning, um, we want to invite you to do that as well. Father, we lift you up and we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for continuing to provide for our church, for continuing to take care of us. We ask God corporately as a church for forgiveness. God, we lift up our nation as we go through this transition and this change and, and everything that is going on around the United States right now. My prayer as a church is that we will continue to be people of peace as you've called us to be. And God, as there are some that are in here today that are broken, that are struggling, that may are having, maybe they're having difficulty with the relationship that is in this church right now, I pray in this moment, Father, that the Holy Spirit 
deals with us. I pray, God, that you show us what the deepest form of Christian unity looks like. God, that we understand how to lock arms over everything. Father, for those who are hurting today, I lift them up in the name of Jesus, believing in healing and believing in your power. And it's in your son's name that we ask these things. Amen. We want to thank you again for listening to the Believer's Church podcast. Make sure you join us next week as we continue in this series. Also, we'd love a chance to connect with you. Make sure you visit BelieversChurchJC.com and enjoy the rest of your week.